you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. anthem for a while. I'm just going to tell you, uh, uh, Latin, not, not necessarily our thing, but the beauty that emerged as this group uh, wrestled with the Latin and with the music, and, and especially the solo that Brie has sung has haunted me. Um, you know, Janelle sends us YouTube videos ahead of time, and, and they're beautiful, uh, but to hear our Brie uh, sing these words. Um, Lily, I find myself whistling these uh, hauntingly beautiful uh, notes, knowing I'm doing no justice to what she can do, um, and, and finding uh, this word that God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation uh, in my bones in this Advent season. Um, let's pray. Lord, your mercy uh, is new every day, and it's for all who fear you. And for that, we give thanks, uh, for uh, your love is available to all. Lord, may we hear afresh from you today a word that you might speak to us, and uh, then send us forth in the strength of your spirit to go share that love with others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in the country, um, eastern North Carolina, a town called Farmville, at one point, the largest per capita producer of tobacco in the world. Uh, if, if you needed it, it came from Pitt County. And uh, Pitt, Farmville uh, has all you might expect from a eastern North Carolina town. Uh, I like to think of myself as a city boy, but it, at, in my bones, I'm from the country. And so I know the kids in these Fayette County schools are getting stuff a bit earlier than I did. Um, for me... 10th grade was the year we started learning to really write essays. They probably do this in second grade here. But in Pitt County, in 10th grade, you learned how to write a five-paragraph essay. You wrote a first paragraph where you uh, kind of laid out what was coming, some kind of introduction, your thesis. You previewed the three points that you were going to have and, and made sure you captured your audience, right? You remember these essays. Nobody is nodding your head. Did anybody else write an essay? Okay, Whew. this whole sermon was going to have to change real fast, Janelle, if nobody wrote essays. Um, and then you spent three paragraphs laying out your argument, right? Here is point one, here is point two, here is point three. And then you wrote your conclusion paragraph where, once again, you laid out your thesis, summarized your three points, and then you hoped you had made a compelling case for whatever. This, this model became the foundations of our 10th grade writing test in North Carolina. And this, this was all Miss Spolchi and Francis Spolchi uh, focused on for the whole year is we've got this test coming and you're my babies. You're going to learn to write these essays and you are not going to cause me shame. This, this five paragraph essay is a very um, convoluted thing, but, but it serves you well. Uh, if you think that really anything else you write uses some of the things that you learned in the five-point essay, right? Whether you're writing uh, poetry or 
prose, whether you're writing uh, a letter to the editor or your, your dissertation on ancient Hebrew linguistics, uh, this idea of an introduction, an argument, and a conclusion will serve you well, right? If you can do that, you could write a biblical letter. Really, this is, this is impressive, right? If you can write a 10th grade essay, you can write any of the epistles in the New Testament. This is the structure they use uh, at every turn. Every Greco-Roman letter follows a structure that is easily predict. You will have an introductory paragraph that has its own structure, and we'll get there in just a second, and you have a bunch of argument back and forth here. Do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, and it's just these points. It's just building on the thesis established in your first paragraph, and you get to the end, and you get a nice conclusion which says, so therefore, blah, 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 uh, amen. It's a five-point essay. And each of the paragraphs has their own structure. At uh, the end, you will get some kind of doxological conclusion. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the peace and whatever of God go with you. Amen. So that's your closing paragraph. In the middle, for all your argumentative paragraphs, you get something to the effect of, um, because of this, because of this, because of this, here's this. Because of this, because of this, because of this, here's this. This is a rhetorical structure of argument and um, exhortation. Argument, exhortation. And we work our way back to the introduction, and it's going to have a very clear structure. I, author, I'm going to butter you up for a paragraph. Uh, I'm going to introduce the topic. I'm going to give you some kind of beautiful doxology, and then I'm going to jump into my argument. And we find this in every New Testament epistle. This is why the book of Hebrews is so hard to figure out what to do with it, because the book of Hebrews doesn't have this paragraph. The book of Hebrews starts out and, and telegraphs that it is most likely a sermon. If you have a King James Version Bible, uh, it probably says the epistle of St. Paul to the Hebrews. Uh, most modern translations just say Hebrews, because uh, it, it doesn't read as a letter. It reads as a first-generation sermon to a church. But the rest of the epistles start with this format. In Romans, the magnum opus, the magnum opus, that's right, yeah, of Paul, his grand theological treaty, starts with a simple Greco-Roman paragraph. From Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for God's good news. And so he establishes that this is Paul, and, and in theory, the church in Rome is not Paul's church, but they have heard of Paul. Paul is famous enough that he doesn't have to give uh, kind of all his credentials, but he is Paul, who's a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, which, which hits us uh, a bit dissonantly, um, but this is absolutely the way uh, any of the apostles would have identified themselves, because this is how the Old Testament prophets identified themselves. This is, Moses would say, I am a servant of the Most High God. Uh, Samuel would say, I'm a servant of the Most High God. Uh, the prophets would say, I'm a servant of the Most High God. And so Paul stands in this prophetic line and says, I am Paul, a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. An apostle uh, comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means to be sent. I am sent out. I, I don't have a home base. I am sent out and set apart. I am made holy, literally, for God's good news, for God's gospel. So we get the, the author paragraph. God promised this good news about his son ahead of time through the prophets in the holy scriptures. 
Uh, I am not, I, Paul, I, the servant of Christ Jesus, am not preaching a new gospel. I'm preaching a gospel that the prophets were telling you about a long time ago, that the prophets told you uh, this news about the Son of God when they talked about the one who would come. His son was descended from David. This is no secret if you know about the Jesus story. If you are anybody involved in the, what is now at this point called the way, if you are part of the gathering, you know that Jesus of Nazareth is descended from the line of David. If, you, uh, if you've heard any of their story, he is human from David's family. This is established uh, in their lore, and it's established in our genealogies, especially in the begats of Matthew. Uh, we go all the way from the beginning down to Joseph and Mary. He is in the line of David. So here's the good news, people. That thing the, promise pro uh, the prophets promised, that thing about Jesus, that thing about one who is to come, one who is descended from the line of David, that is the good news. And he was publicly identified as God's son with power through his resurrection from the dead. So in uh, the Gospels, the thing that identifies him as the Son of God is the baptism. This is my Son in whom I am beloved, who I love, I am well pleased with him. In Paul's recollection of the Gospel, it is the resurrection that bears witness to God's Son being Jesus, to Jesus being the very offspring of God. Paul gets the benefit of the after story, right? The Gospels have this beginning moment, and then they tell the story forward, and Paul now looks back and says, if we thought it was the baptism, it's actually the resurrection where he defeats death. This bears witness that not only is he human, the son of David, he is also the divine son of God who, through the resurrection of the dead, bears witness to the good news, to the gospel. And this resurrection was based on the spirit of holiness. The early church struggles with how they talk about the spirit because they have fleshed out what, they, what it is to talk about Jesus. He is the son of David. He is the son of God. He is human. He is divine. And then we have this spirit, this part of God who is absolutely full of power and we believe is the very, the very power that raised Christ from the dead and is the power that makes people holy. This whole good news hinges on the Spirit raising Christ from the dead. This Son is Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot in that statement, right? We, we tend to think about Jesus Christ as his first name, last name. Let's, let's back it up. It's Jesus who we just hear in the gospel. He has named Jesus our God saves. He has named Jesus as his like birth name, right? If he's getting a birth certificate, he's like Jesus ben Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph. Uh, Christ is not his last name. Christ gets taken up as a title. It is a transliteration of the Greek Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which means the anointed. So this good news, this, this story of Jesus, son of Joseph, son of David, son of God, built on the resurrection of Christ from the dead, empowered by the Spirit, this Jesus, he is the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah of Israel's hope. He is the very, very one we have been waiting for. This Jesus, he is our Lord. 
our kurios. He is uh, the one who uh, we are servants to. This, this claim that Paul says he is a doulos, now the claim is beyond any earthly master. God in Christ, who has been raised by the Spirit, is our Lord. Through him we have received God's grace and our appointment to be apostles. Through him we have received our appointment to be apostles. It is all hinging on Jesus sending out people in his name to bear witness to his grace, to bear witness to his love, and to bear witness to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. They have this grace, and they have this sending. And, and Paul sees his sending as particular. All the apostles were sent to something. I, Paul, was sent to bring the Gentiles to faithful obedience for his name's sake. Uh, Gentiles is a translation of the word ethne, which literally just means the nations. We have, we have put all kinds of pejorative language around the word Gentiles. It really means anybody who's not a Jew. So I, Paul, have a particular calling in the Spirit to go to the Gentiles and share the good news of this Jesus Christ who is Son of God, who is Son of David, who is Son of Joseph, who is the Messiah of Israel's hope, and to go and say, Gentiles, you are welcomed in. You can receive the same power and the same grace. You who are called by Jesus Christ are also included among these Gentiles. This is a subversive, massively difficult statement uh, for this group of people to hear. We've talked about Romans this whole time for the last three weeks, except for our brief James period. Romans, we have the grand parties. We have uh, the Gentile Christians who have been in Rome. They didn't get exiled. They have grown in number, and they have grown in socioeconomic status. And we have the Jewish Christians of Rome who are just now coming back from exile. These Jewish Christians who are weak in number and weak in money and weak in uh, authority, but are mighty in the story they are part of. They are the heirs of Abraham. And these two groups are told, you together now are the nations. This is the calling that Christ has put on us, to come to each of you and say, you, you're heirs of the good news. You are included amongst this. To those in Rome who are dearly loved by God, and called to be God's people. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are heirs of Abraham or heirs of these, uh, these realities, you are dearly loved by God and you too are called to be God's people. For Paul, this is the gospel. Whether Jew or Greek, whether weak or strong, whether rich or poor, whether powerful or lowly, the son of David, the son of God, son of Joseph, the Messiah of Israel's hope, Jesus who saves, the one whose gospel is borne witness to in the resurrection, the one whose spirit uh, both raised him from the dead and now fills the church, has called you. He loves you. 
the whole rest of the book is a particularization of that. It's paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. Romans is pretty long. It keeps going for a while. Of Paul saying, whether you are Jew or whether you are Gentile, you are called and you are loved. And he'll tell it another way. Whether you have sinned a whole bunch or you've hardly sinned at all, you're called and you're loved. Whether you have been circumcised and eat kosher or whether you have uh, lived it up in Rome, you are called and you're loved. Sometimes we make it far too complicated to understand the gospel of God's grace. Beloved in Christ, siblings, uh, you are loved and you're called. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead calls to you and bears witness to God's love to you. Amen? Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, um, forgive us for when we make your gospel far too complex, uh, for when we lose sight of what it means to be uh, your people and what does it mean to be loved by you. Lord, whether we um, are an inch from sanctification or we are here struggling uh, with doubt and disbelief, would your spirit fill our hearts and help us know that we are loved and called? God, we ask for your resurrection power to meet us at this table. for the mysteries of your spirit uh, to be in this very moment and in this very place. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.